You're listening to a podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. We've created this series of short audio pieces to introduce listeners to what we do. As historians of emotions, we look to the past to understand our feelings in the present. In this episode, Ed Brooker discovers a connection between Charles Darwin, bank holidays, and the multiple meanings of that most gluttonous of terms, happiness. What do we mean when we speak of happiness? Historically, happiness has been a gluttonous term, feasting on others, displacing and absorbing them, until it alone comes to reign supreme. As a consequence, it's been suggested, this commonplace word now refers to several dozen separate, and often conflicting, emotional and ethical states. Derived from the Old English and Norse term for luck, Hap, happiness itself, first connoted the action of felicity or chance. But few of us now would wish to leave our happiness to the operation of blind fate. A glance at the self-help section of any bookshop reveals, perhaps, one way in which this constellation of meanings has filtered down into our everyday lives. And while some might regard the happiness industry as an innovation of our own time, this is, in many respects, Nothing new. The reading public of the 19th century, too, did not lack for practical advice when it came to the pursuit of happiness. One of the more notable entries into this field was that of John Lubbock. Although a largely forgotten figure now, Lubbock, the first Lord Avebury, was, on his death in 1913, heralded as one of the foremost public figures of his day. Baronet, banker, scientist, politician neighbour, collaborator and confidant of Charles Darwin, Lubbock sat at the heart of the scientific, financial and political worlds of the late 19th century. It might at first, then, seem curious that he would turn his hand to the writing of popular volumes on the pursuit of happiness. And yet his two-volume The Pleasures of Life, published in the 1880s, was a publishing sensation. All this is more curious still given that many histories of the late 19th century would see the evolutionary thought of Darwin and his followers as exerting a deeply unsettling influence on the culture of the time, eroding moral and spiritual certainties, and in some instances reducing happiness itself to little more than a utilitarian calculation of pleasure and pain, one designed to nudge both individual and species alike towards those behaviours conducive to survival and reproduction. This, however, was not Lubbock's vision of happiness. In part, his work clings to that tradition of independence and self-reliance, which we might regard as the bedrock of Victorian morality. If man is unhappy, asserted Lubbock, quoting from the Stoic philosopher Epictetus, this must be his own fault, 
for God made all men happy. But the ultimate end of life, which he sketched for his readers, was not made up of independence or duty practised for their own sake. It was, instead, a state of flourishing in which all, as a consequence of the action of progress, might enjoy the very best that both civilization and nature had to offer. This, then, was happiness as eudaimonia, the notion of happiness as a life well and fully lived. John Lubbock didn't merely preach a eudaimonic gospel. He saw it as his duty to legislate for the promotion of such virtuous happiness. And so it was that, in 1871, he successfully saw through Parliament his own private member's bill for the introduction of bank holidays, driven by the hope that the extra hours of rest and leisure which such holidays offered might be used by working people for their own betterment. For many years afterwards, a grateful nation dubbed these novel holidays as St Lubbock's Days. It soon became clear, however, that not all wished to use their newfound leisure time as St Lubbock had intended. Reports of bacchanalian excess amongst bank holiday revellers stoked fears amongst certain middle-class observers that the masses regarded the bank holiday as, primarily, an opportunity to indulge in vulgar pleasures. Hedonism, rather than eudaimonia, Lubbock's critics argued, seemed to be the people's true happiness of choice. Lubbock, for his part, would have none of this. People in fact quarrel and break the law, he argued, not when they are happy and enjoying themselves, but when they are suffering and miserable. It's easy, perhaps, to see this conflict between hedonism and eudaimonia as the quarrel of a distant age. But present-day ideas of happiness owe more to the moralised vision of the 19th century than it might at first appear. John Lubbock's eudaimonic ideal, with its call to strive for flourishing, to be one's best possible self, is one that would not be entirely alien to contemporary prophets of well-being. At the same time, concerns regarding the link between criminality and popular hedonism occupy as many column inches in our press as the debate regarding the supposed pleasures of the people did in the press of Lubbock's own time. Happiness, then, may be a word which has absorbed within itself many different, often more nuanced, terms. But it has absorbed, too, the oppositions, contradictions and conflicts inherent between such terms. And the apparent repetition of these conflicts is, perhaps, a marker of continuity, as much as of change, in the unfolding of our shared histories. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It's part of the Living with Feeling project funded by the Wellcome Trust. We hope it helped you feel better. To find out more about our work, please visit emotionslab.org.